This is Software Engineering Radio, the podcast for professional developers, on the web at se-radio.net. SE Radio brings you relevant and detailed discussions of software engineering topics at least once a month. SE Radio is brought to you by IEEE Software Magazine, online at computer.org slash software. So I'm sitting here with uh, Gernot Starke. He has a PhD in software engineering, and he's doing architecture and consulting since more than 20 years now. He co-founded ISAQB, uh, that's the International Software Architecture Qualification Board, and has written quite a few books about software architecture, mostly in German. Uh, hello, Ebert. This is Gernot. Thank you for this introduction. The, the books I, I wrote are mainly concerned with software architecture, and the uh, probably most known is the Effective Software Architecturen, That translates to effective software architectures covering um, mostly everything that's currently important and interesting about the topic. I've done some parent stuff, some stuff on the behavior of software architects, uh, how architects shall deal with uh, typical problems in organizations and so on. Yeah, so thanks a lot for being on the show. You're working as a fellow for InnoQ, just like me. And today's topic is going to be about Arc42. That's a set of templates for documenting software architecture. And it is something that you co-invented. So first of all, how did you come up with this name, Arc42? Uh, but maybe I rephrase that question. How did we come up with that thing or the idea? And uh, the history behind it is that... Uh, Peter Ruschka, the other guy, and, and me, we sat together and looked over a set of architectures, real software architectures, we both have built over the years. And we discussed the topics that we had included in these architectures. So we had a look at their documentation, at the code, at the issues we had, been, and at the business um, stories of that. And we found that in many architectures, we are talking about uh, the same things actually about the same ideas and uh, the same kind of questions came up. So we decided we could um, derive some common structure from, from that and make this kind of architecture template. That was the birth of it. And in the beginning, it had no name. And then we started using it in customer projects and the customers wanted to know what cool thing that is. And uh, talking about a thing that has no name is uh, possible in Harry Potter stories, but it's, it's really difficult in IT industry. So we were forced to invent a name and actually the cool domains, the great software architecture template.com was not free. So we had to find something with, a, with an available domain and architecture ARC is, was not free, but architecture 42 was. So we, we decided that because this domain was free. And I think every everybody knows what 42 is all about. Yeah, I guess that's true. That's quite interesting. And I like how it's actually derived from practical work. So who's behind the project right now as it is? From the start, that's more than 10 years ago, we decided it should be an open thing. And in the first couple of years, uh, the only contributors to this open source thing were Peter and myself. But over the time, a few customers joined us and left, like it's usual in open source. But the main forces is currently about three, four committers. You can find those on the on the open GitHub project. But Peter Ruschka and myself are the, um, let's say, major forces and uh, a few others contribute to the technology in, in generating the stuff and and uh, some some tooling support. Excellent. So you said it, it's free. So how is it licensed? A couple of years ago, we decided we, we should have any license and, and we decided that the um, Creative Commons license would be good. So we encourage customers to use it as it is. And if they like, they, they should quote us. If they change the structure of the template, they don't even need to quote. So... Um, it's absolutely free and people are using it in quite restricted domains and using it for open source projects. So it's uh, definitely free to use as you like it. So the license is a Creative Commons or some kind of... Yes, we call it a Creative Commons license. It, uh, we like to be quoted if, the, if you use it without any, any um, modification. So if you invest your own time to change the structure and to add things, then um, you don't even need to quote us. Okay, I see. And who's using it? I have to admit that I don't know that. I get feedback from kind of all over the at least central European industries. I've seen it in 
German, Austria, Switzerland and many smaller and larger enterprises like banks, telecom, logistics and so on. I've seen it in the, the eastern countries. I know from some companies in China and Russia using it. Um, we get, uh, we get um, questions from American companies. Um, since it's quite an old idea, and it's, it has been on the market for several years, I think the, the usage is quite broad. To me, it seems that it's sort of the default that you use in, at least in Germany. Yeah, thank you. And um, that was actually one of the reasons to, to do this show, because it seems to be such a huge thing in Germany. And I thought it might be interesting to uh, to also see what, what foreign people uh, think about it and, and get some information out about it. So if you talk about architecture and how to document architecture, there is obviously a UML. So what's the relation between Arc42 and UML? One step back. The, the relation between ARC42 and UML is none whatsoever. So you can use um, one or the other for their purposes, but you don't need to use any UML to document an architecture. Um, you can draw images on a whiteboard or uh, on your hotel wall if you like. Um, you could use UML to describe several aspects of, of technical systems, but there is no need to do so. I personally do use UML because it's a quite strictly defined language and there is really nice tools for it, but um, I have lots of customer situations without an UML tool and I can, can successfully document architectures. Okay, I see. I mean, if you, if you talk about architecture and how you do architecture and documentation and so on, is it something that you do upfront or is it agile? I mean, the agile guys say that you don't need any big design upfront. Is that something that Arc42 supports to not do it all at once at the start of the project? We make no assumption, and I underline that no assumption at all about your process. So I know that Arc42 is used in... Um, heavy design industries like safety critical systems but it's also used in very agile projects it's completely independent of the process because it's it's a tool to communicate ideas and decisions uh, if you take your decisions in a very agile way you can document your decisions in a very agile way um, it's like uh, two different questions to ask. How do I design my system if I do that upfront or agile? And how do I communicate my ideas? And that's a completely independent decision how you communicate. I am, I am uh, since years a big, big friend of, of agile development, of, um, of a lot of iteration and feedback things, and that fits quite well together with ARC42. Are there any other approaches that you're aware of or is it something that, that only you guys are doing, this kind of architecture documentation template thing? Especially in larger organizations, I have seen loads of different design and architecture templates. Some of them are missing stuff, some of them are even more comprehensive than ARC42, but um, most of those are company internal only. Um, Simon Brown with his software architects, uh, architecture for developers has derived a similar thing from the content and some basic ideas. We are quite closely together, although the names differ. Um, but I am not aware of any open or completely free alternatives to Arc42. Uh, there have been some initiatives by HP and um, by IBM and by some universities with architecture description languages, but uh, these are not as comprehensive or are um, not as neutral, domain neutral as our ARC42 is. So Simon's work is also not open source? Um, Simon's work is open, but he uses some, some just a different naming than, than we do. And um, I have actually not seen his work uh, in clients I work with. So I, I know Simon from from conferences and know his books is a, a great experience and it was great fun comparing his his kind of documentation to ours and we found many similarities commonalities and um, that um, that would be a, a real alternative so if i needed to do documentation and had no chance to use my own template i would use his okay that's great so um one thing that i was wondering is should documentation be executable I believe that if, if a diagram becomes code or if a requirement actually becomes an executable test, that's generally a good idea because it means that um, 
the requirements is actually really fulfilled by the by the software and it's provable. So I was wondering whether there is any similar thing for the documentation to make sure that documentation and code matches and that everything is working together nicely. Yeah, that's an awesome idea. Too bad I encounter it only rarely in the industry in real practice. I would like to do that. And we had we, we have some great examples ARC 42 examples where we have parts of the documentation being taken from the uh, from GitHub uh, repositories or Git repositories and directly included after testing in the documentation. So that's that's possible. It obviously depends on your toolchain. So it doesn't uh, depend on ARC 42 as a as a templating concept, but on tools. And um, the same is valid for a UML and generating code from UML models. It's a great idea to include such models in your documentation. Describe your toolchain with it, and you're you're done. That's that would be a great idea. Um, so if if I could decide freely decide how to document, I would try to incorporate important source code artifacts that are tested and really current from the from the repositories in the architecture documentation. But have you ever seen that in working at at any of your clients? Um, probably we we put that in the show notes. We have an open example of. Uh, is a quite small open source projects where we have that that uh, direct inclusion of source code in the documentation as i said in uh, in customer projects it's quite rare because it takes some effort to get the tool chains up and running and um, and uh, customers want to save budget and say ah, this is a long-term investment we do it next year and then it gets uh, dumped um, over and over again and the other way around that stuff from the documentation is taken and uh, somehow executed or made part of the code does that ever happen? Um, i have not seen that in reality i know that some fancy book authors write their books uh, so the code examples from the books get executed um, we try to incorporate some of these ideas in arc 42 but this this is valid in real innovative projects but it didn't work out in larger enterprises so far yeah, I have to admit that with my books, I'm also lazy, so I don't do that either. <laughs> okay, so uh, we've spoken a lot about what, on a high level, what it is and what you're aiming for. So we thought that we would um, give a short overview about ARC42 itself. And we would encourage you to take a look at all the diagrams by yourself. Uh, so we are definitely going to include some links in the show notes. And it does make a lot of sense to describe every diagram in detail, obviously, because it's it's visual by, by nature. But we should at least talk about the parts and how they fit together. Yeah. Ibar, may I correct a few of your statements? You are talking about diagrams and not all documentation consists of diagrams. I know that you write textual documentation to explain your decisions and so on. So um, please let our listeners uh, not only focus on images and pictures, but there has to be some textual or tabular explanation to a picture. And um, many parts of ARC42 are relying on textual arguments, on describing a decision that can be done without any visuals. It can be done quite low-tech um, without drawing anything, but just describing your idea in, in text. Yeah, that's that's a very good point. Uh, so architecture is definitely not just about drawing diagrams. Let's talk about the, the parts of ARC42 then. So the first part that you said is to define what the problem actually is. So why do I need that part? I mean, isn't it obvious what I'm supposed to do? It might be obvious in a few people's head, but we are writing documentation for probably some today unknown stakeholders, unknown readers for the future, and they probably have a different idea of what the product is supposed to do. So I think it's a good idea, it's a good practice to describe what's the um, fundamental business goal of any product. Um, to enable readers or consumers of documentation to understand design decisions better. I, I, I like to describe a bit of the functional parts of the problem and I like to describe part of the, uh, of the constraints I'm developing under. So, for example, if people tell me you are not allowed any functional language or you are not, not allowed any fancy NoSQL database, um, I need that information to understand decisions I take on later. That's quite interesting. Um, my impression is uh, when I look at, at some projects that actually the architects don't really know what the problem is. 
And in some cases, they just jump to conclusions and start to to come up with some kind of, of uh, architecture without really understanding the, 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 the trade-offs that they would need to do. And I think that's actually quite a bad thing because if you don't know what the problem is, you can't come up with a good solution. So what do you think about that? Is it just me that sees these kinds of problems? You, you have just described the reason why we put this part into ARC42 to really ensure that there is a, a common knowledge about the problem domain. We don't want to copy the re in any requirements documentation here, just as much to give an architect or, or the developers an overview, uh, what are the requirements, what are the required quality goals, how secure, how, how reliable, how flexible anything should be. Um, to really ensure there is a common understanding to make this understanding explicit. And I have experienced exactly the same situation, people designing solutions for requirements that uh, doesn't exist. And that's, that's really bad, that's waste of money and time. Yeah, so I have to, to tell this short story. So I've seen a tweet uh, quite recently that said, uh, scalability is actually a luxury problem. Because if you have a scalability problem, then it means that you're already successful. And I, I for one, I see too many architects caring about scalability instead of, well, uh, getting stuff out quickly to, to prove the business case, for example. Yes. And uh, having a scale, <laughs> yeah, I, I had uh, similar experiences with uh, rather large clients that tried to design a scalable system and the product wasn't successful. And then they had an interesting solution, but um, no business. And that's a bad thing. So make sure in ARC42 there's a, a few chapters or a few compartments for information like functional stuff and constraints and context and so on that really constrain and describe the problem domain. Okay. As far as I understood, there is a part that gives an introduction in goals. So what would it consist of? For example, the, the major use cases or epics, whatever you like to call them, the functional aspects of the system, give an overview who are important stakeholders with their, their specific requirements um, and uh, yeah, describe a bit about the uh, quality goals, actually. What are your top quality, uh, top quality priorities? Do you want to build a highly reliable system or a highly secure system or a highly flexible system? Um, as in real world, you cannot have uh, everything in perfection, so you need to make compromises, and I want to know what are my rules for uh, for compromise. Yeah, architecture is all about trade-offs. And and I want to know this is uh, kind of trade-off information, uh, quality goal information in, in my introduction. Uh, then there are constraints, so what would that be? I have a lot of uh, clients that have uh, a predefined technology stack. So some people want to build Java applications, others are more in the in the .NET Microsoft domain. Others say, oh, we got this big mainframe and we want to continue developing for the mainframe. So they constrain my technology decisions. And I uh, think that constraints should be part of the architecture documentation to um, keep them for the future. Otherwise, you wouldn't understand what strange decision I took if you don't know the constraints. I see. Um, and then there is the context. In, in project management uh, terminology, I would uh, describe this as the scoping of the system. So what's my responsibility? What do I have to build and to what parts of the environment I have to connect? So in, in the context, in the architecture, terminology, I, I usually describe my major external interfaces like uh, data sources or data sinks or event sources or uh, that kind of stuff. That would sum up the, the problem um, and, and give an idea about what problem the architecture is actually trying to solve. Yeah. So the next part would be about the solution structure. Yeah, that's uh, definitely the major part of the architecture documentation describing, as, as the most important artifact, describing your high-level code structure, your subsystems, your component structure, how your application um, is built up from code. There are some solution ideas and strategies. Yeah, solution idea could be we 
we take this or that kind of frameworks, uh, we reuse this or that part of an ex existing application, we are using standard software for this and that um, part of the problem and so on. So this very high level introduction into the kind of big solution ideas. And next thing I want to know is how is your code structured? So what's the top level structure of your code? What kind of subsystems exist, subsystem boundaries exist? So those will be the, the building blocks? Yes. That would probably be something where I would draw a diagram, I guess. We, we distinguish in ARC42 between black boxes and white boxes. And for white boxes, you open up the structure and therefore you need a diagram. Or I propose you use diagrams for this uh, kind of information. Um, UML has a part in, in that. I like component diagrams, um, package diagrams for describing building block views, code structures. But you could photograph a flip chart or whatever you, you need or you seem fit for such structural information. Important thing here is the mapping to the code. So I want um, no fantasy diagrams, but I want to know how really the code fits together in, in form of components or as we call them building blocks. Yeah, I think that's another very important part that the concept of the architecture must be uh, represented in the code basically because otherwise yes. it does make a lot of sense. Yes. Yeah. So then there is a runtime view. Yeah, because often from the code, it's difficult to understand how the system really works. So how things um, behave over time, what's done first and what component is taking what responsibility after uh, some other thing happens. So the order of events, the order of processing can be derived from reading a lot of source code, but I can convey ideas on a very high level um, within a few sketches or words or a numbered list, whatever, to describe this has to happen first and um, that thing has to happen next and th only third is probably this and that. Sounds a little bit like you would do it in, in text, not as a diagram. Mm, you could do both. Um, I like sequence diagrams if I have a precise overview of what's happening. I like numbered lists if I'm just discussing. Okay. So quite often, if there is a really important interaction in the system, we'll stick to numbered lists and discussions for a long time. And if we, want, if we decide we want to keep this information, we probably transform it into a diagram because sometimes diagrams are easier to read, but they are more difficult to write. And then there is a deployment view. Uh, obviously, all our software has to run on some hardware. And the mapping from the software to the hardware is quite often a complex process. In distributed systems, in even in simple client-server systems, you have several machines where you have to deploy certain parts of your system. And these deployment rules are not obvious. It's an active decision what building blocks, what components you bundle together for one server and what others you bundle together for another machine. Therefore, we have that deployment view that contains physical information, hardware, networks, and so on to ensure that this mapping from code to hardware is understood. Okay, makes a lot of sense. Does it also work the other way around? So do you think that infrastructure also has an impact on the architecture or is it just that infrastructure is an afterthought and something that comes out of the architecture? I think this is one of the major driving forces for an architect. Um, I need to make sure my code is able to run on the infrastructure. So if I can decide the infrastructure completely independent, um, I could do it afterwards. But um, usually in, in my cases, in major corporations, we have an infrastructure and we have infrastructure constraints. So I have to make sure my software works on that existing infrastructure. Okay. Um, in probably in modern world, very innovative uh, container-based uh, systems, uh, I have a lot of freedom in that case, but very often you interface, integrate with existing systems, even existing uh, hardware. And infrastructure is a big driving force. If you violate that that idea your system gets uh, dumped <laughs> it won't it won't run yeah it's it's probably the saddest state that you can be in right it's going to be finished but it's not going to go into production okay so that's the solution structure with all the different parts um, and how it's how it's going to work yeah um, let, let, let me add one one fact here um, we describe this this parts of arc 42 in this order from problem to solution but in reality you will work on these parts properly in a completely different way. In projects I've seen, we started with discussing deployment options. 
So we started documenting the architecture um, by the deployment view. So we had some infrastructure sketches and then we designed the firewalls around it, the firewall rules um, in this architecture. And only after that, we started discussing use cases and, and so on. So the order in which you work might be completely independent of the order we we. Uh, use this in ARC42 that can depend on the problem and the and the situation. Okay, that's pretty interesting. So that's again the, the thing that actually the infrastructure and the deployment might have a big impact on yes. what you're actually doing. Um, as I said before, the ARC42 is completely independent of your process. So if in your process you have to take uh, infrastructure decisions first, um, the, the template will definitely support that. And we have then some cross-cutting concerns. So what would that be? Uh, sometimes in your architecture work, you will probably decide some or take some decisions that will impact many, many components or building blocks or most of the developers. Uh, let's uh, let's say you use a NoSQL database as an example. Probably you want to store loads of data and many developers have to comply to your decision of using Cassandra or Mongo or whatever. And w we call those decisions cross-cutting or conceptual decisions like a principle. It's a guiding principle in this architecture to use a Cassandra database. Or it's a guiding principle that we only use REST as the interface technology, whatever. Okay. And um, because we don't, we, we don't ever want to replicate or duplicate any documentation, we have um, taken those out or factored those out in, in this uh, chapter or part we call concepts or cross-cutting concepts. I see. So that would be general design decisions concepts and yes, okay. yes, we we call those the cross-cutting parts of of the architecture documentation architecture decisions. Um, these are uh, that's quite interesting. These are the parts of the documentation that are highly re reusable within an organization. So, um, for example, a bank or a um, logistics company that builds several systems, they will quite quite often be be able to reuse these these concepts, like the concepts. How do we monitor our application in production? You, you decide that for a number of systems and then you can reuse the documentation. And ARC42 is constructed in a way that it makes reuse quite easy. So that's basically it, but there are some, let's say, add-ons that you could also use. One of them are quality scenarios. Yeah, people who know this architecture trade-off analysis method, they will know the term quality scenario. It's a way to describe quality requirements in a very... Um, exemplaric way as a scenario how your system shall fulfill or shall comply to some quality requirements and in quality scenario workshops with customers or, or clients we often come up with um, dozens or even in the hundreds of such scenarios which is valuable documentation but it's uh, it's a lot of stuff so we put that stuff in the more in the back corner of the documentation as a reference um, but we don't want to make readers skim over several pages and pages of quality scenarios we quite often need them in in the long run but we put them in a in the other section of the arc 42 because they are not not so heavily used in day-to-day -day development so can you give like a concrete example of such a quality scenario? My system shall respond to a certain outage of the hardware in the following way. So an operator shall be able to restart um, the database server or the LDAP or whatever in a certain time. Um, a special use case like generating the monthly report shall be finished in uh, about a second and a half and so on and so on. So that would be examples for quality scenarios yes. for performance yes. and reliability. It could be flexibility, okay. reliability, whatever. And as I said, I don't want to repeat anything that's already described in some requirements document. But if I learn about such a scenario during development, I need a place to, to fix it, to keep it um, anywhere so I, I can reference it probably later if I need it. We had this discussion about how quality is actually quite important and that this really seems to be a way of starting to think about quality and make it like really concrete. So do you think this is important or not too important? I'm a little bit confused because you said it's sort of an add-on and it's it's something yes. that you do in the, in the back of the documentation. Let's rewind our tape about 20 minutes. Um, when we talked about the beginning or the first part of the architecture template, I said, oh, we need a 
a very good understanding, a thorough understanding of the problem. And therefore, uh, th there I mentioned that quality belongs to the problem part. So the most important quality attributes, quality requirements, I want to know in the introduction to some documentation. But there will be more information about required qualities that probably have a little lower priority or are a bit more extensively described. And I want to put that out of the reading flow or out of the understanding flow. I see. So this is giving detail and it's not to say that those details are not important. It's just that it might be a lot of details. Yes. And it might be used as kind of reference documentation. And you, you, you don't want to read a reference manual. I, I found that quite often we have about five, eight really important quality scenarios. I put this, those in the at the beginning of the documentation and the 85 others I put in the back. Okay, I see. And what about the risks? That's also something like, like an add-on. Yes, that's an add-on I really refuse to use in reality because I think that risk management is a management task. So it should be done by project owners or project managers. But if they don't do it or if they don't do it properly, um, the architects can come into play and um, help them with risk management. And we, we made this some kind of add-on chapter in ARC42 because we found systems that didn't manage their risks properly. So we wanted to give this a, a room in the architecture documentation, especially ideas how we can work against those risks. Actually, I have to admit, I did very rarely use this part of this documentation. So, I mean, obviously there might be a technical risk, like it might be hard to fulfill the requirements for scaling or what have you. Uh, so is that something that the architect would do or is it something that the project manager would do or the the architect should in my mind identify these technical risks probably i can myself as an architect do something against those um, but there are other cases where i cannot do with with my tooling with my means anything against that risk so i need to probably escalate that you said that you would hardly use this part of the documentation at all so You would just not care about the risk and not even document it? I would try to convince my project manager to care about risks and would them, him or her, let them collect these risks, manage those risks. If they don't do it, um, I will come into play. And, and So that would be kept somewhere separate, like in, in the, I don't know, a project documentation or somewhere? Hopefully, and the, yes. And you don't want to do it redundantly. Yes. So that's why you, okay, yes. that's why you don't do it here. Okay, I see. People, people I know or companies I know have used this part of the architecture documentation to document their known technical depth. Oh. Therefore, this, this title risks is a bit misleading. Um, but if you, if you consider this to be the known depth or the known problems we have, um, that, that becomes much more Im interesting or important to me. That, that would be something we probably incorporate into ARC42 in one of the next releases, but um, I've seen that in practice and I like that a lot. To make explicit uh, things I, I, I know about, I know there, there's bad code in, hidden deep into some layer, but, but I need a place to document that. Yeah, and it's, it's still a risk, but it's not a risk that a project manager yes. can really yes. care, care about. Okay. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. One of the questions is, I mean, with, with the documentation, there is always the problem that there are quite a few different views and, you know, information might be scattered throughout the documentation. So how do you keep that consistent? My answer to, to this, this question that comes up in many, many projects I've seen is make somebody responsible for documentation. I don't mean make somebody write a lot of documentation, but make somebody responsible for the right amount of documentation and start small, get feedback from your stakeholders. And if the stakeholders, readers, whatever, who's, whoever is interested, gives you feedback, you can comply to that feedback. You can even um, give more details or give less details. And so you come up with an appropriate level of documentation and have somebody responsible for this appropriateness This guy is not paid for writing up pages, but he's paid for making customers <laughs> satisfied or readers satisfied. Such a person will be really interested in keeping things consistent. One other question is, uh, so where would I cover security, for example? Is a typical of those cross-cutting topics. Okay. So there, there is a chapter in the um, in the ARC42 template for this cross-cutting stuff and a sub-chapter is labeled security. So if you have security as an issue, that, that would be the place you would cover that. I wouldn't put it in as, uh, as a quality 
requirement? Yes, the, the requirement is obviously a requirement. So security as a quality or sub aspects of security you, you would really need but the solution to this to this requirement so what kind of encryption you want what kind of hashing do you want hardware encryption or whatever that would be the solution to the problem and the solution aspects you would put in this cross-cutting stuff next question so we've seen a lot of templates and you know things that you can document software development and architecture is a creative process some claim it's really an art What do you think? Do you really need all of this? Isn't it like just bureaucracy and just standing in the way? Yeah, people who know me a bit better know that I'm against bureaucracy, but I like documentation. Um, and I think this can fit together with the agile approach of having just the right amount of documentation. In several definitions of done, I found in a Scrum context, there is that saying, we accept only documented features. So. Many teams accept the fact that they need some kind of documentation and we have to find the right amount. Um, yes, it, uh, there is a risk that you write uh, documentation in a very bureaucratic way, but you have a very good chance to make that really agile and to really adapt your documentation to your stakeholders' needs. And even for creative processes like software, you need some, uh, some information apart from the source code. There are several kinds of decisions you don't want to document in the source code. The reasons why you choose a specific framework, there is no part of the source code suitable for this kind of information. So a few things need to be kept outside the code. And what kind of things, I don't know, but the template gives you a structure for it so you can write it easily and can retrieve it easily. Okay, so in a way what, what you seem to be saying is that you shouldn't fill out all of the templates. Is that what you're saying? Definitely not. So you definitely don't want to fill this um, like you fill your text form. Um, but you, you use only the parts that are required. So you, you do it in any arbitrary order you seem fit in your project or in your development. And you really use only those parts that add some value to your communication, to your documentation. So if within your team you discuss certain aspects you will probably want to document those are the reasons why you decided for a specific thing. And you do that in any order. And if there, I am very happy if there are a lot of blank spaces in the documentation because that shows we have done that intelligently and we have consciously decided which parts is important and which parts we can leave away. Um, and how do you do these decisions? I mean, obviously there is the problem that at the end you might up, end up with documentation that doesn't really document what needs to be documented. So it's hard to say whether this is just something that I don't really need to document or whether it's something that I do need to document. In my opinion, only the stakeholders of the system can answer this question, what they really need or want. So I would propose that in a development, you, you ask your stakeholders about the quality of the documentation. Um, show them examples, show them a table, a diagram, whatever. Ask them, do you need more? Do you need less? Do you need other representations? What can I do to fulfill your communication needs, your information needs? And you, you can incrementally build your documentation from the feedback you get. And you wouldn't say that there is like any sort of bare minimum that you would always need to fill out. I mean, I could imagine that, for example, the, the qualities that are required would be something that I would always put into the documentation because they are so core to actually solving the problem. Yes, excellent. I propose to always have those quality goals. Okay. And the bare minimum for me consists of the quality goals, the systems context with the external interfaces and the high-level building, building block structure. So the high-level code structure, I really want to know because I don't want to read a million lines of code to understand what's going on. I want to see this as, an, as a white box overall picture um, and together with the qualities and the context, that would be the really bare minimum I'd accept. The buildings blocks, I could reverse engineer them from the code, couldn't I? I mean, using these uh, uh, tools. Yes, probably, if you know where to look. But imagine a, a system that's partly built in Scala, partly built in Java, and has a lot of SAP functions um, we rely on. So you, you wouldn't probably know what types of things to reverse engineer. And if it's just um, a small Java application, then this is a trivial problem. And that is also, I guess, what you would st what you would start with, right? I mean, the, uh, the 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 context, the quality goals, and the the building blocks. 
Yeah, I'm I'm one of those uh, overview guys. I w I need an overview to understand the problem. So the biggest overview you can give me is the context. So describe your external interfaces. Describe. Um, how this system as a black box fits into its environment and then I'm quite happy with the context. So I would propose to do this or start this uh, at day zero. So when we start developing, I want to know the context where we start development, within what kind of data and events. And um, day one we can start thinking of maybe infrastructure or how to implement some use cases or uh, do some bottom-up prototyping. Um, definitely the context and the quality goals would be something I would do early in a development cycle. And how do you know where to stop? I mean, how do you know that what you've written is really enough and there is nothing to add? We have defined the, the bare minimum. So the question is, well, when do you stop, basically? Mm. As I said before, when my stakeholder participants in the project um, developers, managers, uh, operators, admins, whoever is participating, when those people tell me, yes, that's what you showed me, seems to be enough. And, and I want to try to minimize that. So I, um, I always ask teams to be um, as minimalistic as possible, but uh, don't take unnecessary risks. So I'd really like to ask people about the quality of the documentation and I, uh, and I like to repeat the questions over and over again. So I give them examples of the documents every now and then to get feedback if it's, if it's okay. Okay, excellent. And um, it would be the, the same document that you would show to all these stakeholders. I can imagine that operations people have quite a different view on the system uh, from managers, for example. Yeah, good point. Um, in an ideal world, I would give them, give them projections probably compile from um, some kind of repository like a wiki or an ASCII doc representation where I really compile parts of the of the documentation very specific for operations for front-end developers or back-end developers. Okay. Um, the, the template itself can be handled or can be processed in a lot of different representations or tools and in the ideal world it's modular and you can generate representations from it like PDF for development and a PDF for operations. Okay, I see. Is the template enough or would I need to add anything? How do I get the most value out of it? I have seen enterprises that added, for example, like user interface specifications like screen forms or UI layouts to it. And there is no common, uh, common room for this kind of information. So organizations added that. I have seen... Um, operation departments adding specific things they needed like firewall rules or things like like that which are not part of the standard template but mm, it's it's a it's a flexible template so you are completely open to add things you really need um, do that with care because it can lead to some overhead but if you need things um, just add them which tools should I use? So it seems there is a lot of text involved. Uh, there, there are some diagrams. So would I just make it a Word document? Yeah, that's, that's a matter of taste or constraints you have. My personal favorite is use a wiki and use a modeling tool for diagrams because I like modeling tools. They are very efficient in using different kinds of static or dynamic or deployment models. But as I said, you, you, are, you are not stuck to, to UML there. So a wiki and a modeling tool is a perfect combination. Uh, some, some kind of textual syntax like ASCII doc, markdown, textile, whatever is my second choice. Together with a drawing tool, I can include that into a build process. I can even test my documentation or parts of my documentation. And my third priority is write it in a Word document. Okay. But even if I'm constrained to use just a Word document, you can follow the template and you can do it agile and it, it can really work. Um, so why do you prefer a wiki over the other approaches? Because I get collaboration for free and uh, I can send links to specific parts of the documentation via email. Most wikis have a stable URL scheme so if I send you some link it's, uh, it will still be valid uh, a few months from now. I can reference my issue tracker in a wiki and this is a very, very nice integrative tool suite. It's, it's full text search, um, which I don't get in a large number of Word documents. And that makes collaboration in Teams quite easy. Okay. And you said the other alternative would be to put it in your version control and to actually test and compile the, the documentation. So what does that mean? I mean, how do you test documentation? 
for example, I can check if links I use are valid. Um, I can include um, parts of source code I really think important, like interface definitions, whatever. Um, and that, that kind of basic semantic tests I can do. And the version control or the plain text documentation has the advantage that it's quite easy to generate different representations from it. And I know clients that write their documentation in, in ASCII.com or Markdown formats and generate their Confluence wiki uh, from, from that. Um, this is even, yeah, it's, it's a tooling problem or a tooling thing, but the, the template doesn't propose anything in, in that aspect. So how do you version the documentation? I mean, if, if the documentation is just in your versioning system, that's, well, obviously easy to do. But uh, what if I have it in the wiki? How do I make sure that I have uh, the same version for the documentation and also the executable system? Might be difficult for continuous deployment, but for many of my customers use kind of release process, even if it's daily, weekly or whatever, for major releases, export the documentation as PDF, put them in the version control with the same tag or label as your source code, and then you're fit. Okay. And would you automate that process or just do it manually? That depends on size of the um, system. As I said before, if there is a person responsible for the documentation, these persons can decide whether it's it's a nuisance to generate the documentation, then I'd automate it. If you do it just once a month or once every uh, several months, if you don't have that many architectural changes, then uh, I can live with a manual process. Do you need to do any kind of diffs? Again, I mean, if you have a versioning system, then it's obvious that how to do that. But what about diagrams and these kinds of things? In theory, you can diff a diagram. In practice, I've never seen it working. <laughs> okay. Um, probably we shouldn't tell, us, uh, tell this to our listeners, but print the two documents and compare them uh, visually. That's a bit faster. Um, it's, it's, it's not nice, but th that works. And usually you have reasons why you change a diagram or why you change... Um, a big thing in the architecture and you, you should um, care more for the reasons behind the change um, than for the font size of a, um, any description in, in your diagram. So here is another question. Basically, architecture is all about you know certain decisions and often at one point that at least occurred to me, uh, you wonder why that decision has been made and then you look at the documentation and you, you realize that it hasn't been properly documented. So how do I avoid that kind of situation that you know you just made a decision, it's clear to everybody, it's very clear why we made the decision, and then after a year you're like, oh, well, we didn't document it, I have no idea. If you dive into the template, you will find several places where we propose to document reasons um, before documenting facts, because you find the fact in the source code, but you okay. don't find the reason in the source code. For example, we have a, a thing called a white box template, and the white box describes the inner working, the inner structure of a thing. And the most important for me is describing the reason why the white box looks like it looks. So I, if, if I see a diagram, I would like to know why the diagram looks like this. So why do I have four components here and not five or seven or whatever? So we, we point out this reasoning about things, the arguments for, for decisions at some places in, in this template to make really clear the importance of, of this kind of information. Okay, but uh, still, I mean, if I make the decision, and it might not even be obvious that this is such an important decision, it's, it only becomes very important in, in hindsight. How do I avoid that situation that this kind of information just gets lost? Yes, you are, you are uh, right. The information can get lost, and probably you decide something today, don't document it, and later on you find out, oh, this would have been important. A template doesn't help you in that case. So it's just human error, basically. Yes, but uh, the, the template Aqua 2 tries to remind you wherever possible, please explain the reason why you did something but the template cannot guarantee that you really do that one well more or less obvious question is how do i actually get started so if that convinced me to try it out what would the next step be and how would i do it i have successfully started using the template in several enterprises and we we usually started by looking at some examples 
And developers were sometimes quite astonished. Oh, um, that small documentation shall be, su uh, shall be sufficient. And they really like the idea that uh, they can do it in, on small scale, that they can start small, start very agile and build it up. So I propose you have a look at some of the examples we have. We don't have that many different examples. There's, for example, uh, one very cool chess engine described in Arc42 template. We have some open source projects described with Arc42. Uh, one or two huge commercial systems uh, described in Arc42 terminology or structure. And have a look at those and that will help you get started. And then take it from there. Okay. Are you aware, by the way, of, of any English book about Arc42 that talks about that? Currently, I'm not aware of, um, of English publications um, for the topic. Um, I, I get some requests from British and American companies. Um, the template itself is obviously available in, in several languages, but um, many of the examples are not translated, I'm, I'm afraid. So what other languages except for German and, and English are there? As Spanish, and I know it's used in France, but we don't have an official download for that. Oh. But most people use the English version. How are you going to improve ARC42 in the future? Uh, is there anything that is still on your feature list or that you want to do? Yeah, we, we moved the whole stuff to, to GitHub about a year ago, a bit more than a year. We are looking for uh, several more uh, tools we support. So other languages like Markdown, uh, Textile, whatever might be on the roadmap. Generating Word documents from ASCII doc is on the roadmap, but the structure of the template itself is relatively stable over time or has stabilized a lot over time. That's an issue tracker, so if anybody finds an issue, we'll do our best to fix it uh, in near real time. Um, but on, on this tooling part, there's um, still open things to do. Anything else you want to add? Anything that we didn't cover? Any other stuff? It was a broad uh, spectrum of things we, we covered, so I suggest uh, listeners to just give it a try. Have a look at um, one of probably one of these small open source uh, projects and this and, and its documentation. And if you like what you see, it probably is uh, will, will be working in your system. So just head over to arc42.org and start. Okay. Um, thanks a lot. Uh, it was a pleasure talking to you. And thanks, Ewart. Yeah. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the show and uh, have fun with Arc42. So thanks. Thank you. Thanks for listening to SE Radio, an educational program brought to you by IEEE Software Magazine. For more information about the podcast, including other episodes, visit our website at se-radio.net. To provide feedback, you can write comments on each episode on the website or write a review on iTunes. Mention or message us on Twitter, at SE Radio, or search for the Software Engineering Radio Group on LinkedIn, Google+, or Facebook. You can also email us at team at se-radio.net. This and all other episodes of SE Radio is licensed under the Creative Commons 2.5 license. Thanks again for your support.